Hello and welcome to At Home with Ashley G. I'm Ashley Gronwald, a real estate agent, mother of three, living in Raleigh, North Carolina with my husband Jed. I hope you'll join me as we discuss all things that begin in the home, such as family, marriage, faith, parenting, organizing, and plus a sprinkle of real estate. I look forward to building a community with you as we navigate the joys of owning a home and making it our safe haven for our family. Because home is where it all begins. Hi everyone, it's Ashley Gronwald with Hunter Row Real Estate and I have Lisa Goldberg here with me again. Thank you so much for joining me, Lisa. I'm so glad to be here. Yay! And it was so fun when my husband came home from BSF last night. He was like, so I'm in BSF with Lisa's husband. I was like, that's crazy. Like, it's just so fun how small the world is. So it's pretty amazing. And the yeah. body of Christ is so good, right? It like is. how we are all woven together. So I love it. I love it. Me too. So we're going to jump in, but I want to hear what's going on with your ministry side by side, because it's really an amazing ministry. I want people to know about, use it as a resource, tell friends and family about it that might um, need it or could be helpful to them. So tell us what's going on. Well, thank you. Um, it's pretty exciting um, that we are available mostly to serve marriages that are divided by infidelity. And we are just believing that God can heal any marriage and even the ones that God allows kind of provision for divorce when necessary, but that he also hates divorce and doesn't want that to happen. And so we do our best to come in as first responders to infidelity crisis in a marriage. And we walk alongside couples and we have just gotten so busy, which is unfortunate. I think COVID has helped with that a little bit, that my husband has recently uh, resigned from his full-time church ministry position as a worship pastor and come into our ministry full-time. So we're both available to couples full-time as side-by-side, -side, which is pretty extraordinary, um, you know, scary and exciting all at the same time. And amazing because, you know, your story is such a key part for people to know that there is hope and restoration. And it's not just you speaking from the female side, but from your husband being a part of that, going astray and coming back and saying, I'm going to use this as a platform, um, not to hide and shame, but to use it to help others. Absolutely. My husband came to Christ through that tragedy in our marriage. And so it's a message that we must share. Yes. Um, it's something that God has given us as our testimony, really. And so we do that through our ministry and we hope that we're helping other couples. And it's been very successful. Uh, we have a 92% success rate with the couples that we serve. So uh, it's God has been blessing us in how we're able to be a part of other people's stories. And, and we just hope to continue to do that. I love that. I hope people will go and check it out. Your website, is it side by side? It's staysidebyside.org. Love it. So stay side by side. Yes. .org. So go check that out. Um, but let's jump in because the topic today is a great one to help maybe in this situation or as a preventative or proactive approach, which I, I'm sure if you can get people in the front end, it can save from a lot of heartache on the back end. So absolutely. Fine. We would love for people to affair proof their marriages. Yes, exactly. So you're going to talk about these five key ingredients for a thriving marriage. So if you want to, I'm going to go through the questions. Do you want to give them out at the beginning or do you want to work through them and share them as we go? Well, yeah, I'll be happy to share them. Uh, we actually first heard of these five. Um, we've we've tailored them a little bit to our ministry, but um, we heard of these five points through National Marriage Project. They did a really extensive study back in 2011, and it was specifically looking at um, marriages within the context of parenting and within that 
that study, they found that across the board, they were finding that both husbands and wives were answering that there are very specific things that both of them find um, that are consistent in marriages that are happy, essentially. And so the five um, points, the five ingredients that we say for a thriving marriage uh, are a satisfying sex life. Both answered the same way are fully committed to their spouse and their marriage. They love generously. They nurture a family mentality and they practice their faith together. And also within that faith practice, they also value the social network that comes along with that faith. So those are the five key ingredients to a thriving marriage. I love it. So let's kind of dive deeper into each of those to kind Mm -hmm. of hash that out so we can have a better understanding. So my first question was a lot of people say, they're just surviving in their marriage. If they were honest, they would say, we're making it, um, it's working, we're just surviving. But I don't know that there's a lot of people that would say, we're thriving in our marriage. They might say they're drowning. They might say they're just keeping their head above water. All terms of survival, not thriving, passionate marriages. And why do you think that is? Or again, this is something we're trying to find the the ingredients that will help a thriving marriage. Yeah. So I think one of the first things that I would say is it's best to define what both of those things are. So when we look at what surviving is, it is existing. It's existing, especially in spite of some sort of hardship or danger. So that's what survival is. You're just existing Mm -hmm. and thriving is actually growing. So we're growing well, we're growing vigorously, we're growing at a, at some rate. And so when we're thriving, we have to be growing. Well, in a God-centered marriage, in order for us to thrive, we need to grow according to God's design. And so that would be abundantly, which is you know, a, the biblical context of that would be an abundant life. A thriving life is a life that is lived to the full according to what God has designed for us. So when we look in John 10, 10, where Jesus says the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, I have come that we may have an abundant life, life mm-hmm. to the full. And so essentially the difference between surviving is existing, right? We're just existing. Yeah. We're, we're complacent. And, and essentially if we're not nurturing something, it's probably dying, right? Mm-hmm. So when we're surviving, we're actually headed in the wrong direction, but when we're thriving, we're growing towards something. And so that's, that's the huge difference is that if we don't look at surviving, like we're just kind of hanging out, we're, we're kind of, you know, both turning our wheels next to each other versus Mm -hmm. actually seeking something, um, that's actually heading backwards and thriving is when we are moving forward, growing toward a God-centered marriage together. So I think the definition of those two words is super important because I don't think that we would sit in a marriage that's surviving as much when we really look at what the definition of surviving versus thriving is. And I think what I sense, you know, for my age group, we have littles. So it's almost like, I think the mindset is we'll get back to pursuing marriage or each other once the kids are more established or they can care for themselves and they're a little more independent. I mean, terrible thought process because putting that on the back burner is setting one another up for affairs and adultery. And also it's, it's not nurturing. Like you said, the relationship that you coveted in at the beginning of the relationship. Um, Cause I think you've answered that question of like, why should we strive for a marriage that's thriving rather than just settle for one that's good and faithful 
because like you said, Jesus came to die so that we would have abundant life, John 10. Um, But also, I mean, I think maybe to add on to that is what would you say to us that's in the little years, putting the marriage on the back burner to help our kids survive because they need us feed them clothing, shelter, all those things. Well, so this is, this is a tough one because we love our children. And we want to do everything we possibly can do for them. I have an eight-year-old. I get it. Like, and it's hard. We have to make the conscious choice of putting our marriage first. Mm -hmm. And so it is a, just kind of a constant reminder that our marriage being a healthy, thriving, growing marriage, growing in Christ, growing together and not apart is the best thing that we can do for our children. And so it's not necessarily like sometimes, you know, Um, the word striving can be tough because people think of that as like the hustle or the grind or the grit, you know, that we have to like, you know, make our way through these tough years of having these little kids. Um, But a lot of time it is more about let's rest and look at what's really important because a lot of the things that we think we're doing for our children that are providing for them are actually just adding to the weight of our schedules and our demands and things like that. And so we just constantly try to remind ourselves in our marriage, the best thing for our son is for us to have a healthy marriage. The best thing for our son is for us to have a healthy marriage. And and it's not easy. Like I'm not saying that that's just like, oh, how simple, but it is kind of a through line in our lives that helps us to decide what we're going to say yes to and what we're going to say no to as far as the little kids go. I think that's so good. And it's logical, but I feel like counterintuitive if I could say it that way, because it's like, it makes sense that the best thing and most important thing I could give to my children is a healthy, um, nurturing relationship between their mom and dad that sets up a really strong foundation for them of building relationships, safety, security, identity, all those things. But instead, I think that can wait. Let me try to meet your emotional needs, your physical needs. But it's like counterproductive because if they don't have the established safety of their parents, it's almost like that's not working for me to try to connect with them when their basic need is to feel safe in a home that's grounded between their parents. But there's such a disconnect, like in the, I mean, specifically, I I see that, like even the thought of, well, I can't go on a date night because I want to be there every night to put my kids to bed. I just want to, I want to be there for dinner. I want to, you know, and, and in my mind, I'm like, that's what loving them is, is being there with them. But at the same time, it's like, but it's been years, you know, maybe since you've gone just with Jed to spend time to build you know, the marriage. So even thinking like that, I think sometimes as women, we might get stuck in the needs and roles we have as their parent and forgetting the bigger foundation we we hopefully want to lay for them. Absolutely. And I think you brought up two really good points. One thing um, is that we are not our children's savior. So we are not their be all end all. We want them to rely on God. And so sometimes when we have to step away from them, we are offering them the opportunity to rely on God in those moments, you know? So there's like a beautiful amount of freedom, not only for us to be able to go and have a date night and trust that our son is being well cared for by whom, whoever we have chosen uh, mm-hmm. to come and watch him for the night, but also for him to know that he has a savior who is with him at all times, whether mommy or daddy aren't. So there's something to be said for that. And then for us as parents, and especially as moms, we can um, allow our parenting to be an idol 
I mean, that's just, I don't know really how else to say it softly really, but that we can say, well, I'm the only one that can do this or I'm the, you know, and, and it becomes this thing where we, we are looking to our parenting as being our identity. And, and therefore sometimes it can, it can fall into that unhealthy pattern of, of idolizing Mm -hmm. um, that job, so to speak. That's good and really helpful. So in the marriages that you see successfully navigating life together as a married couple, do you see common themes in them that you're like, that seems to be in most of the marriages that are really thriving together? That's a great question. So let me, let me speak to that tangibly, like what you could see from the outside of a couple. Like if, if we were just looking at a couple from across the room, what would I see? Mm -hmm. Um, How I note that they're probably in a, you know, successful marriage. I would see um, people who are speaking very highly of each other, Mm -hmm. no matter the circumstance. So Mm -hmm. people who are in a thriving marriage tend to build each other up especially publicly. So there would you wouldn't find them speaking poorly in any way, shape or form about their spouse. In fact, you would probably find them bragging on their spouse quite a bit, you know, and finding ways that they can build them up, you know. So the Bible tells us that we need to build each other up or essentially we're tearing each other down if we're not doing that. So Definitely. Uh, that's one of the first things I would see if I, you know, looked at a, a, a couple at a party or something. Um, right. I would say um, they tend to check in with each other. Um, so if we're in a public atmosphere, um, they are somehow physically connected to each other every few moments. Um, so they tend to be aware of the other one. Um, whereas, you know, sometimes in a couple that you see there, they might be more divided. Um, they might walk into a room and one goes one way and one goes the other way. And they're not going to see each other until they get back in the car, you know? Um, so I'm kind of picturing this like event type situation where I would scan, scan the room. Um, they spend quality time together. They enjoy each other. They laugh together. They make mm-hmm. a point of doing things that they love together or mm-hmm. choosing to do something that the other one loves, you know, mm-hmm. and vice versa. So it's not, you're not, we're not always going to enjoy doing the same things, but, um, but we're going to choose to do something that our spouse enjoys. And I would say also they are generous, whether that is giving to each other, um, mm-hmm. looking for ways to give to each other or together. I find some of the happiest marriages are the people that are just extremely generous. They give together. They choose to give in certain, whether it's, you know, giving of their time, talent, or treasure. Uh, they just tend to be very generous together. And there's this word cherish that I don't think we hear enough in our world. And I they cherish each other. And so whatever that looks like in their marriage, based on their own personalities, um, they tend to cherish each other in a gentle spirit. So you'll just see eye contact in a certain way. You'll see them um, doing something for the other, um, just in a sacrificial way that is just evident that they cherish. I love all those. I can't say that those are all true of Jed and I, so it's definitely convicting, but it's like, I see selfishness in some of that of like, you said they just enjoy being together, even if it's not their favorite extracurricular activity or just checking in with each other. Just it's a a way like in unity of just, you know, making sure you're good. I'm good. We're still here together, not totally independent parties going separate directions. I think all those are really good visuals for a thriving marriage. The one that I was thinking of, because when I go into public places, when I see them just distracted by technology, I'm like, there's no way they're connected if they're Mm -hmm. both at a table on a phone or 
they're waiting for their table on their phones and not with you, you know, engaged in that moment. So that's one that came to my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I am curious before I go to the next question, are you into the Enneagram at all? <laughs> I'm a one and, and Steve is a nine. So we're very different. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Cause I, I think that that's been really helpful to me. And I know that's not for everybody. Jed gets annoyed how much I talk about it, but it's been so helpful to understand myself, understand him. And like you said, um, cherish each other, the way your personality, your unique individual relationship calls for. Cause the way you do that with Steve is different than Jed and I will do that as long as it's happening in a way that communicates love and acknowledgement of the other person. Um, but I just think our different personalities and the way we cope with our world can impact that significantly. So it's an interesting journey to absolutely. I think the Enneagram can be no different than something like the five love languages, which, you know, was like popular, you know, 10 years ago as a tool to be used in marriage. And the Enneagram is similar in the way that it's a personality, you know, test, so to speak, or um, just really diving deep. And and when it's used as a tool, it's very helpful when it's uh, replacing the gospel, it gets a little uh, scary. So I think as long as people are using something like the Enneagram or strength finders or the five love languages or, you know, whatever you know new thing is happening, mm-hmm. as long as it's used as a tool in order to better your marriage and move you closer to God, and it's not pulling you away from him, right. then it's a good, it's a good thing to use. And it's been super helpful for us in our marriage to be able to love each other well, based on kind of how we're hard, hardwired. Exactly. It gives you a language to understand each other, extend some grace, but never uses a weapon or a way to justify sin. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you talked about having a fulfilling and satisfying sex life and both, you know, female and male answered that that was important to a thriving marriage. So a question would be, how is it possible to have a satisfying sex life when people have different needs, expectations, desires, baggage, wounds, responsibilities that get in the way of this. I know that that we could spend hours talking about that, but do you have some thoughts around that? We could. Um, And this is a topic that people like tend to cringe about or not want to hear or um, get embarrassed to talk about. Uh, We don't tend to be too embarrassed to talk about it because it's vitally important. And as you heard earlier, it's one of our top five points and both spouses found it to be that way. So it's important. And I think one of the things that we have to understand is that with everything else in life, we cannot let obstacles get in the way of winning. So whatever our, you know, we, we don't let obstacles get in the way of so many other things in our life, but why do we let these obstacles get in the way of the most intimate act that we can have with our spouse? And there are plenty of obstacles, like the enemy knows where to Mm -hmm. get us, right? Right. So remember, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So he's going to want to ruin the, the thing that makes us the most intimate and the most, you know, beautiful in our time together. So there are all kinds of things that are going to fight against that, right? There's Mm -hmm. like people that have genuine medical issues. There are physical barriers. There's past trauma. There's, um, children who are knocking on your door and there are teenagers who are like, ew, and all Mm -hmm. kinds of stuff that's working against us, the schedules, um, and just our, our own libido levels, all this stuff. These are obstacles, but we cannot let them get in the way of us winning (laughs) as far as sex goes, because it is a vitally important piece of a thriving marriage. And so that is, again, it's all about that growth 
and that mm -hmm. intentionality. So if we are going to thrive in our marriage, if we're going to grow vigorously, which is what thriving is, then we have to be vigorously intentional in looking for ways that we can better that, whether it is dedicating time, if it's mm -hmm. a, you know, a time issue. Um, if there are genuine things, like I know for my husband and I, like there have been certain obstacles that have come in the way. Um, earlier in our marriage, there were some medical things that were genuinely in the way of that for us. And we had to explore like what is going on. And, and I did a lot of things that tried to open us up toward a better intimate situation mm -hmm. for ourselves. So, but it, it, took being intentional. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when it comes to the kids, you know, like there's things that like such things as locked doors um, and <laughs> all kinds of stuff that we can do. There is um, sex during the day. There is meeting for lunch to like, why not? Um, you know, like, uh, and I think one of the keys is that we have to, especially as Christians, we have to understand that this is something that God designed. Mm -hmm. Like he made this for right. us. He made it pleasurable. He made our bodies to fit together. And so if he made this for us, then there's a level of understanding and obedience almost in like, yeah. gosh, I really should probably partake in this great thing that he created for us. So let me figure out how I can nurture that. Yeah, I think that's great. And I may have shared this with you before, but like when we're counseling with um, our couples who are not married yet, we say the enemy's tactic is to do everything he can to get you in bed together before you're married and then to do everything he can after you're married not to. Yes. And that says like when you recognize it's the enemy, not your partner, that it's literally the enemy that's, you know, trying to sabotage your marriage and fight um, intimacy of you know, what you can, and your spouse can have, it helps to know that it's not your spouse. It's literally, you know, the roaring lion that's out prowling to destroy us. And so I think that visual can be helpful. The intentionality piece is so good. Like if we're not intentional, it's not going to just naturally happen. And then, I mean, for, for me particularly, I have to like remind myself, this was God designed. It's holy. It's good because our culture has just defiled it. And mm -hmm. I get stuck there, very stuck. And I remember that thought of like, you know, up until the, the moment I say I do to Jed, it is dirty, it's shameful, and really against everything that God would want. But then all of a sudden, and, you know, the us committing in marriage, all of a sudden, it's supposed to become this beautiful, holy, no shame attached thing. And it, it didn't, that switch did not happen for me. Like all of the years of it being tainted by culture, music, entertainment, movies. It's like, I don't make that. I still 12 years in and I still have not made that jump over easily. Like I have to remind myself that God's not looking down in shame. He's looking down in delight that he gave us this gift and we're partaking of this gift he's given us. So I think all those things are really good um, in keeping the intentionality piece at the forefront. Absolutely. Yeah. We're not with our family of origins. Most of us didn't have extensive conversations on this topic. We certainly right. didn't in the church. And so we're not accustomed to being able to have a conversation like this, especially mm -hmm. with our spouse. It's there is a genuine level of, for some people, like horror of actually having a conversation about sex with their spouse. Mm -hmm. And it's the more, you know, just with anything, right? It's like riding a bike. The more you do it, the easier it is. So, you know, just, um, we have a ton of resources. So that's something that if you, if you want more information on this and you don't feel like trying to figure out on Google how to pursue like next steps and really 
re just receiving what God has for you, like contact me at privately and I'll be happy to share some resources. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. So one question that came to mind was like this idea of having a committed covenant marriage different from being nice, cordial roommates, let's say like those two images. I think of, you know, maybe the nines on the Enneagram being a little bit more laid back, let the, you know, not cause any rocking of the boat, um, kind of we're just, you know, maybe two ships passing in the night. Things are just, we're more roommate style versus committing to a covenant marriage. Can you speak to like the differences of that, what that looks like? Yes. There's a lot of people that are living in marriages that feel more like a roommate situation mm -hmm. than a, a beautiful union. Yeah. And I would say the difference between the two is um, a transactional relationship mm -hmm. versus relational situation, you know, mm -hmm. where you're actually growing close together. And again, it comes back to our level of intentionality when we are coming into every day of our life saying, you know, I know that this is what God is asking of me. I know that this is the way he made me. I know that he wants me to live in relation with this person that he has gifted me. Mm -hmm. And so I have to follow through on making that effort. But a lot of people are still living in um, this kind of like, you live here, I live here. Mm -hmm. Don't drink my orange juice. What right. kind of toothpaste are we going to use? Should we paint that wall? Like, like all of these just kind of, even the conversations that we have and, and, and we fall into this pattern all the time. We have to pull ourselves out of it because we'll find at the end of the day, the only conversation that we had in our marriage was who's picking up the kid, who's doing this, who's doing that. And it's like, whoa, um, what about, how are you? I love you. What are you dreaming about today? You know, mm -hmm. what is hurting your heart today? You know, mm -hmm. so it's, it's a matter of simple, really simple questions, asking of each other, um, looking to see how we can be giving to the other one. Again, one of our five key points was loving generously. And so when we come, we wake up in the morning and we're like, God, how can I glorify you today? One of the number one ways that we can do that is by how we treat our spouse. And remember our spouse, like Jesus tells us in the Bible that we are, you know, whatever we did for the least of these, we have done for him. And sometimes we consider our spouse to be the least of these right. yet. So we can be frustrated with them. We can be annoyed with them. We have, you know, we, we all have our things, right? But we're still like, we need to treat our spouse mm -hmm. as if they are God himself, because yeah. he's telling us whatever you did for the least of these, even though he's annoying you right now, even though she's a pain, you know, you are doing that as for me. Right. And so we have to remember that as Christians, that um, that's what we're called to do. And that our marriage is the first way that we can glorify God. I, the image that comes to mind is like, we can be a picture of Christ to our spouse or the enemy, like really in how we interact. Are we giving life through our words? Are we tearing them down with the tongue? Yeah. So I love that. Well, and God has more for us. Like he has an abundant life for us. So why wouldn't we want to partake in that too? It's not just all about them, but it's like, he has a blessing for us in that as well. So we kind of, when we each think of each other first, everybody wins. Yeah. Exactly. And then the family mentality, that was one of the, the concepts that that helps for a thriving marriage. How is that? So this is, this I found to be very interesting because within the national marriage project study, they found both with the husbands and the wives. And again, this is for married people. So this is not to say that 
everyone is meant to have a child or even that every married person is meant to have a child. But in general, they found that people who were married were thriving, that wanted children, um, that with that were valuing the children that they did have. They weren't kind of just an ex extra appendage to their, you know, marriage. Um, and, and that in general, they felt like a high sense of responsibility in raising up that next generation. And so that's biblical. And I think mm -hmm. it might feel like uh, an oversimplification of this truth and why that is part of the five key ingredients. But I think in general, you know, God shows us in, in Genesis, uh, be fruitful and multiply, you know, procreate mm -hmm. and fill the earth. And so I think there's, there's something like we have a desire to glorify God innately. We are made in his image. And if, if this is something that he has called us to do in his word, it would make sense that we would thrive if we were doing that, right. you know? So, and I can speak from both sides. We spent the first 11 years of our marriage um, saying that we were not going to have kids. Yeah. Um, and it really wasn't until we came into a Christ-centered marriage that we had the desire to have a child, yeah. which is so interesting to me. Yeah. So I've felt that um, before and just, and it's, you know, again, this is a, a, a study that where you're, you're always going to have the possibility of other thought processes and, and can marriages thrive without children as part of the marriage? Absolutely. Right. But in general, this is one of the, the five key points that not only children exist within the marriage and the family, but that the parents um, are valuing the children mm -hmm. in, in their family. Yeah. It's like, we don't want to replace our spouse or our marriage with the kids, but it is a focal point. Like Jed and I are closer today for sure. After watching these three kids be born and raising them together and talking through what, what's best for them. Just both of us. It's the thing that we are most passionate about outside of, outside of our faith that we both agree upon. You know, it's like, we both love them with everything in us. And so it does draw us together for sure. So, I would venture to say too, that there's probably a level of the humbling quality of children that would add to that. Like it wasn't in the study, but, but okay, you know, like I think the humility that comes with raising children is uh, mind blowing some yes. days. And so I think there's nothing wrong with being humbled on a regular basis to yes. cause you to remember who's in charge. That's <laughs> right. I love that. Well, for sake of time, one last question, um, just the faith component, because that was the last ingredient. And so couples that prioritize their faith seem to show that they have a stronger marriage or a more a, a thriving marriage. Can you speak to that and give us some encouragement about that? Oh, yeah. This is the most important thing. Um, God made marriage. He brought us together. Mm -hmm. And so the only way it is going to actually work the way that he designed is mm -hmm. if we place him at the center of it. And having a, a Christ-centered marriage is a game changer. Mm -hmm. um, so we lived the first half of our marriage um, godless. And so I know what it's like to live in that. And it was mm -hmm. not fruitful. And we were pretty miserable, even mm -hmm. though according to the world standards, like we had like made it and we looked on the outside, like, you know, we were the perfect couple and all the things were happening for us the way that the world would want them to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, but we were not good. And it led to all kinds of destruction in our marriage. And so I can, you know, speak firsthand at what the difference is between a God-centered marriage and, and one that's just, you know, self 
centered, <laughs> really, because uh, any other marriage that I see that isn't centered on God tends to always have this self-focus. What's in it for me? What's it? I deserve this. I deserve better. I need this. And so when we have a God-centered marriage, we are looking to glorify God. And the way that we glorify God um, is by following those two great commandments, right? Loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then loving our neighbor, the spouse of ours as yeah. ourselves. And so when we do that, like it flows, you know, and it's not that we don't experience suffering. We know God told us that we were going to have suffering in this world, uh, but we do it with a, a humility and a grace and a mercy that can only come from Holy Spirit power that is, is given to us through God. So huge game changer to be able to have that faith structure um, in, you know, our, our marriage enveloped by God's beauty. Well, and I think just even not having the mindset of like, there's a soulmate out there for us, or this one's not meeting our needs, which are all what our world or culture would say, like, if you're not happy, go find happiness somewhere else. And our pastor was saying this weekend, like, um, if you think you married the wrong person, you did because we're all sinners. <laughs> so, and if you're wondering if you um, are supposed to be married to them, the answer is yes, because you married them. So you stay with them. Like, like just thinking it from a totally different perspective rather than what is this? How is this serving me? How yeah. do I get my needs met through you versus laying your life down like Christ did to serve our spouse? And like you said, it's always a win-win when you are trying to outserve your spouse and love them the way Christ loved us. So. Exactly. He tells us, seek first the kingdom of God and his mm -hmm. righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So the way that our life is supposed to go comes by placing him first right. and our spouse comes right after that. Yep. So good. Well, thank you so much for your time, Lisa. I do hope that people check out your website, stay side by side.org. Um, and Lisa's got lots of great resources on there, or you can reach out to her privately for questions you might have or how to get connected, but I've loved this time and I know it's been helpful to me and it will be helpful to lots of others. So thanks for what you're doing. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Bye. See you. Thank you for joining me today. And if you connected with something that was said, I hope you will share this with a friend, subscribe, and leave a review. Thanks for sharing this journey with me at home, where it all begins.